When the art day gets rough, you just gotta keep on punching. And here's your Thunder Punch Daily with Jersey Droz. So let's talk about Waspinator, the giant wasp uh, Predacon from Beast Wars. Before I dive in, I want to frame this up with a little bit with this thought of something I've been exploring in other uh, entries in this series is that Transformers... Um, as a franchise, w one thing that stands out about it to me is that how flexible the concept is and how, how easily it lends itself to different kinds of interpretations. You can have the new, the live action move motion pictures. You can have the original G1 cartoon. You can have the 2008, 2009 reimagining called Transformers Animated. And you can have, you know, a, a darker series like Transformers Prime, which can also spin off into a lighter-hearted series like Robots in Disguise from a few years ago. Um, it's really flexible, and I think that's one of its uh, one of its neat neatest qualities. And I, I, it gets me curious about other intellectual properties, like you know, like you have like Batman Elseworlds and things. But like, can ev can any franchise be reimagined that way? I, I would argue no, and I think I said in a, in a past entry, uh, G.I. Joe, a real American hero, is kind of hard to translate into modern day and keep the entire recipe alive. You have to lose something that, that was sort of um, integral to the vibe it originally had, uh, for better or worse. Whereas with Transformers, I think because the recipe is, is relatively simpler, as long as you have two warring factions of robots, uh, having you know having a civil war, you can have different power levels, right? In some iterations of Transformers, the Decepticons are clearly the more powerful, and then in other ones, you know, the Autobots are more like keepers of the peace. I would argue, two thousand one, Robots in Disguise and Beast Wars, uh, the bad guys are actually at the disadvantage, and they're rebellious in that way. Um, and the second thing I would say to frame this up is that I, as I've been thinking more and more about these characters and the cartoon series and uh especially generation one cartoons i'm beginning to realize and i don't know if i've ever thought this carefully or thought about this like out loud before or really acknowledged it but the original transformers cartoon series wasn't very funny and i don't mean that it's like that they were telling jokes and they weren't landing i'm saying that they didn't have a very playful spirit, which I think is part of what made it appealing to me as a young person who encountered it like at you know, ages eleven and twelve, where you're starting to feel like, oh, I want to be a big kid. I want to I want to do serious things now. Um, I don't want well, I don't want like baby stuff anymore. You know, um, where you, you want something that's just a little bit outside of your um, comfort zone. <coughs> Pardon me. So, so that gets me to Waspinator, where I can I can totally see how this character might not work for some Transformers fans. And once again, I go back to my initial framing point. There's lots of iterations. That's one of the great things about Transformers. You can have your Transformers now. You can have it your way, as they used to say, right? Uh, so you don't have to like Beast Wars. But Beast Wars is an interesting series in that it, it it raised some stakes. It made things a little bit more serious, but then it also it had a real sense of humor about it. Um, and they were, they were intentionally trying to be funny a lot in the series, which I really, looking back, I think that's part of what made it so darn appealing. 
at, at the time when I was in my 20s, I thought for sure, like, no, it's because it's like, it's a story, it's a transformer story that's been aged up for me. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like they, they use swears now, which were like transformer swears. And I adore the transformer swears. Oh, for booting up cold, uh, you can kiss my skid plate and what the slag, which I know is an actual proper uh, swear in, in Europe or is it the UK? Um, so it doesn't get used anymore, but I love the sound of it. I loved it when a character, when Rat Trap in particular would be like, slag, you know? Anyway, um, I, I, at the time I thought it was like the, the more grown up aspects that I, was making me enjoy it so much, but I really do think that in equal part, it was the fact that there was a lot of character driven humor. What do I mean? Humor that is not just a sight gag or a slapstick gag, but comes from something about that character reminding us why we love that character. And Waspinator is, probably the most flamboyant expression of that idea. Um, he's got that voice, right? He's got that, that Lilo and Stitch voice that virtually anybody can mimic, and I won't do it here. You can go, if you haven't heard it, you can go watch the cartoon. It's on Tubi. Um, Waspinator, another thing I like about the character, so let me, actually, let me dig at the, 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 the silliness bit a little bit. So, like, there's the fact that He's not really evil. <laughs> He's not a diabolical planet-eating monster, you know? He is actually kind of sweet and craves approval from the, the robots around him, whether they're good or bad. Um, the, there's different expressions of it. Like I, I think of... Um, uh, coming of the Fusors Part 2, there's that weird scene where he's arguing with um, Silverbolt about being in command, which doesn't, like fit with everything else we've seen about the character so far, except for that he is myopic about it, you know, because then Silverbolt says, okay, well, what's your command then? He's like, well, you'll follow me and I'll lead. And Silverbolt's like, ugh. Um, but he's, 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 uh, he wants to do right by his comrades and he wants them to like him, but he's not very good at what he does. He's not a super awesome warrior. Um, he has this really silly weapon where it's like a, it's like a, a stinger gun where he shoots darts out of the gun at people. Um, and, uh, he even has like that erratic flying pattern. He doesn't like, he's not graceful in any, in any means. And then a gag that starts to appear in the series becomes a running gag is Waspinator getting completely torn to pieces and then having to put himself back together again. Uh, I think it begins with, um, the probe, is it the probe? No. Um, it's the episode where an alien ship comes down to the planet where the Maximals and Predacons are, and it disembodies Optimus, and he becomes like being scanned by the Vok aliens. And um, it, it, the, the device is in this Stonehenge-looking ring of stones, and Waspinator is sneaking around trying to get the drop on the Maximals. And Rhinox turns around, and I think for the first time uses this enormous chain gun. And it's like a full... 10 or 15 seconds of Waspinator just screaming while his body's being blown to pieces. Um, I remember as a, as a 20 something year old, like, just like, uh, how would I describe the, the emotions I felt in that? It was, it was, it was, it was funny in the way of the, that famous scene in Indiana Jones when he shoots the guy with the scimitar in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? It has a release, it releases some tension. It's shocking, which makes it also kind of funny because it like it, it, it surprises you. Um, and it was something we'd never seen before in a Transformers show. 
most of the 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 violence in the series was was very i think dialed back and and abstracted um you never saw iron high just mow down a decepticon you saw a little bit of that in the transformers movie when optimus is taking out all those decepticons which was enormously satisfying for me as a child but you know in 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 hindsight as i get older i look at that i'm like Ooh, i don't know about that now <laughs> but they at least made it silly in that every time he's smashed to bits he is he puts himself back together and and then and he even becomes aware of the joke um as the writers found more and more creative ways to brutalize this character at one point he gets smushed into a cube like a like a, a junkyard and he's actually like he's got like this little tiny finger coming out of the cube like dragging him to the restoration chamber restoration tank and he's like muttering to himself oh don't anybody mind me i'm just gonna go fix myself and i don't want to spoil waspmater's ending for anybody who actually wants to see the series but uh one thing i really love about the character is the turn he takes at the end of the series and how that works out for him um i found that to be that was a surprise that i found like i was surprised at how satisfied i was about that um, because I didn't think I liked Waspinator all that much. I mean, I liked him as a bit character who just got, like, uh, punched down on all the time. But uh, by the end of the series, I found that I had a real affection for him. I had a, That's the crazy thing about Beast Wars is because the cast was small and because the characters all developed and were all, I would say, fairly well written, um, there isn't a character on that series that I don't have some affection for. Even Scorponok, who really doesn't do that much. Uh, the, the little memorable parts with him are really fun. And it matters when, you know, things happen to these characters. So, and then I know Beast Machines came along and it did something else with the Waspinator, which I was like, ah, okay. I mean, I got it. I saw what they were doing at the time. Uh, but, it, it, and the way they got Waspinator involved in the series was sufficiently silly that like when he re recounts his, his origin of how he got back to Cybertron, I'm like, like, okay, I guess, but, uh, th I think that more than anything else is the part that made me go like, I don't think this is canonical. <laughs> In my head canon, this is not, this isn't real. He, he didn't go back to Cybertron. He, he stayed where he was. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I guess the, the final thing I'll say about him is he, he points to something that, it, it, you know, these, these journal entries are supposed to be about me thinking about my art through the window of thinking about Transformers characters. And one thing that's important to me as a creator um, is character redemption um i i do think that there is a thing called evil there is malevolence there is truly despicable acts and people who commit those acts um but for the most part when i'm writing for young people um i think about the experiences i had as a young person um and while i don't think that necessarily you know, all acts are justified, right? Terrible things happen to young people. But I'm thinking about like experiences in the playground, experiences that you have amongst your friends and amongst kids who may be giving you a hard time. Um, I think about this notion that, you know, the He-Man cartoon series, I would say is equally, if not more important to me as um, when I think about like cartoons in my youth and like there's that episode, uh, The Mystery of Manny Faces where the sorcerer says to Orko, you know, sometimes people who act the worst need our help the most, you know? and that struck me as a young person. That really hit me right between the eyes and it changed me in the way I think about not just how I engage with people, but like how I wanna write for young people. Like I, that helped me at a time when I really needed to understand something. 
And so characters who have the potential to be redeemed, I am automatically going to have some affinity for. Waspmater, even more so because not only is a character who points to redemption, because he's not really evil, but he's like he's sort of like a guy who just got mixed up with the wrong crowd. He's somebody who maybe <laughs> when he lived on Cybertron, he didn't have a whole lot of support in his life, and he didn't know how to figure out the difference between right and wrong. You know, he didn't have a he didn't have an Alpha Trion for crying out loud. You know, and so along comes this super charming guy named Megatron, and he is super charming. You know, uh, I think if he if I would have met a character like him when I was at a vulnerable point in like in my teens. Who knows how, how I could have turned out, you know? So the fact that he is uh, pushed around and, and disrespected throughout the whole series, and, and he really just wants to get approval from his, his peers, and then he, he changes things around for himself towards the end, that I find to be a very charming and appealing story. So, and, and I like the idea of, you know, even when you're facing a group of people who you don't agree with. Um, they are not, I mean, they can be a mob. Yeah, mobs are terrifying, you know, but but not everybody in there is necessarily there because you think that for the reason that they're there, right? There's Megatrons, right? There's people who are uh, really sinister, malevolent people. And then there's people who are just like, like, hey, wait a minute, I, I just, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time and I'm mixed up in this crowd. You know, like in uh, a graphic novel I did in um, 2003 through 2006 called The Front Rebirth, I played with that concept with the mercenaries. You know, so we have this really wicked dude who's like really nasty. He murders, he, in the flashbacks we see he's murdered a whole bunch of people. Um, and he's making a bid for some kind of immortality, and he's got these underlings working for him, and they're not really truly evil, especially like Jared and Orange Guy. Jared and Orange Guy are basically like kind of ch children who are like enormous power who are in this organization. Dick and Torpedo Black, I would say, are more chaos agents, right? But I like that. I like playing with that idea, and I like playing with the idea of you know. Um, just because somebody's acting terribly doesn't mean that they are necessarily terrible. Maybe, maybe they need help. <laughs> uh, but that's a difficult uh, one to navigate too, because who's to say that you know how to help them too, right? So it's, it's an active engagement and, and that's why I like these kinds of stories and watching them play out over lots and lots of episodes. And I feel like Robots in Disguise did something similar with that, um, with Skybite and the Predacons. And, uh, did even yeah, even Transformers Prime did it. That's right. There are some bad guys who kind of come out not so bad at the end. Um, yeah, that's a lovely idea. So uh, I think I'll I'll close it there. So this is part of the Art Sound Off Challenge. Artsoundoff.com. Artsoundoff hashtag on social media. There's always a hashtag on social media, isn't there? Anything you say. I bet there's a Jersey Droz hashtag. Yes, I know there is, as a matter of fact, because uh, there's another more famous Jersey Droz who makes guitars. So if you look for that hashtag, you'll find guitars. You won't find me. Um, anyway, what is it? It's it's a over the month of November, me and my buddy Rob Stenzinger check in over the month with audio journals about our art, and we challenge everybody else to do the same in some form or another, whether you do it every day, whether you do it once a week, whether you do it once, whether you share it or don't share it. But if you do share it, we ask that you use the Art Sound Off hashtag so everybody can follow along and see how everybody else is playing the game. The way I'm playing the game is I am thinking about a different Transformer character every day over the month of November, 
and putting it into this feed called the Four Million Years Later Podcast. At the end of this journey, we're going to switch gears. My buddy Hoover and I are going to start checking in weekly, thinking about a single episode of Transformers Gen 1 in order. So we're going to watch the entire series together and talk about it together. So if you haven't subscribed yet, it's 4millionyearslater.com. I'll be back tomorrow with another Thunder Punch Daily. Until then, remember everybody. Today we met Garth, who to some people looked like a monster. But Garth wasn't a monster. He was a good person with a noble soul. And in the end, his beauty showed through. Real beauty comes from inside, which is why ugly people can sometimes be the most beautiful people to know. And why people who look beautiful sometimes act very ugly. Being beautiful on the outside is all right. But being beautiful on the inside, that's the best.